Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and I've got to say I love doing this show. I just love chatting to really inspiring entrepreneurs who are just driven by passion and purpose, not just to build a brand, but to make a real impact. And I also think it's really fascinating chatting to people at all stages of their business journey. So I hope you'll forgive me for sounding like a kid in a candy shop when I say that today's guest is bringing multiple levels of innovation to the beauty industry, is a living ball of passion for her impact, inspired by being a breast cancer survivor herself. And we get to peek into her brand literally weeks after she's opened her online store. Tanya Jolly is the founder of purpose-driven brand Lashes of Change. She takes us on a journey in this conversation from the seed of an idea through personal calamity, fighting an industry supply chain that said it couldn't be done, to finally launching Australia's first refillable beauty brand. I truly hope you find our discussion as inspiring as I did. So with that, let's start the show. Tanya Jolly, welcome to the show. Thanks, Giles. Thanks so much for inviting me on. I'm super excited. Well, I tell you what, I get to see a lot of brands in this game. I get to see, I get to talk to all sorts of interesting people and interesting ideas, all working in the sustainability space. But you are my first, Tanya. You're my first person that's working in the beauty space, specifically in sort of refillable beauty. And as soon as I saw your brand, I, my eyes lit up because I thought, oh, this is so cool. I, I really need you on my show. I really need to talk and unpick your story here. So thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, you know, it's a, it's a real honor to have this opportunity to share my story with you and with your, um, you know, beautiful listeners. Thank you so much. Now, so let's let's get underway. Tell us, please, Tanya, where, what's your background and how did you come to start this incredible thing? Yeah, so... I guess at heart, I'm a, I'm a problem solver. Um, I, I've been, you know, an entrepreneur and innovator now for uh, sort of coming on 20 years. Um, so I find problems that, that require better solutions than what we have, you know, currently existing. And the way that um, I got started with, with Lashes of Change was just simply because I had a frustration. Um, I had been using a Clarins mascara for 22 years. I'd, I'd just repurchased the same because it was perfect for me. So it was easy to, you know, to purchase. It was convenient. I knew what I wanted. It was literally, you know, dive in. Three minutes later, I was out with what I needed and I could get on with the rest of my day. You know, I've got a busy business. I've got two little kids. You know, I, I just, I don't think many of us have time for shopping, you know, per se anymore. Mm. So, I sort of rocked up to um, the department store that I, I used to get my mascara from um, back in about 2015, and this lovely lady looked at me and said, I'm so sorry, but it's been discontinued. And I was like... Heartbreak moment. What do you mean it's been discontinued? I sort of felt like, you know, like my boyfriend just broke up with me on the spot. You can see the world, the, the walls closing in around you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, the, and, the, and the, the, the earth started opening up and swallowing me. I'm like... <laughs> I'm sorry, what do you mean? And discontinued. Like I've been using this thing for 22 years. It created such a um, a disconnect for me. I was like, I, I, I don't get it. And I literally looked at her and I said, what am I supposed to do now? 
And she said, well, you'll like have to go, you know, I can offer you this or this or this. And I said, but that's not what I want what I want and and I use I used to use a quite a specific color so that was the thing that kind of got me because I couldn't find a replacement color easily and then back then there was sort of only two other brands that um, provided this this aubergine color and they were both considerably more expensive so I, I sort of had to launch myself into the world of Christian Dior and and Yves Saint Laurent only to find that when I got um, you know, I first purchased the Christian Dior one. So that was like $79 or $85 or something horrendous back then. And I got it home and I figured that I liked the colour, but I absolutely hated the brush. And I was constantly poking myself in the eye while I was trying to put my mascara on because it was so much bigger than what I was used to. So, you know, I've got tears streaming down my my face as I'm trying to put my makeup on and, and totally getting frustrated with that whole scenario. And I found that the formula was horrible. Like it really was just shocking. So for a really expensive product, uh, I, you know, I would give it like literally a one or a two out of 10. It was terrible. So I found myself within a few months heading back into the department store and purchasing the, the Yves Saint Laurent. So there's another, you know, 85, 90 bucks that I'm handing over. Get that home find that it's the same big brush. So I've still got this issue with the brush that I'm poking myself in the eye. Um, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm, pretty I'm pretty good like with my manual dexterity as well so uh you know I think it's just what you get used to um and and you're talking about like literally millimeters of difference in size so it does it's a it's a habit and it's one of those things that you sort of just you know build up to um and so I was like okay well so it started me with that whole process of breaking the product down into the elements that I loved right so the one element was the color while one element was the brush. And I was sort of sitting um, underneath my lemon tree one day in, in the sunshine, just thinking about a, a, a different things one weekend. And I was like, I want that brush, but I want that color. And why can't I put them together? Like, why can't I customize a mascara? You know, we can do all sorts of amazing things on this this earth, but we can't customize, you know, very many beauty products. Um, and I've already been frustrated frustrated for many years, as I think a, a lot of women are, when you buy an eyeshadow palette. So, you, you know, you might buy five or 10 colour or a 20 colour palette and you probably only use 30, 50% of it and the rest of it, you know, just isn't your colours and so you end up throwing them away. And I always felt that, that was very wasteful. It was frustrating. And, and I think the other thing that I hated doing was at the end of the life of a mascara, it goes to landfill. They're, yeah. they're there was no other option. There is really no other option at the moment um, apart from my brand now. Yeah. Um, and, and so the more I sort of started thinking about the customization element of it and then started on that journey, the more I was able to start pushing the envelope and go, okay, what else can we disrupt? How can we make this just a, a seriously much better product. I can I can fix the bit that I want, but I can also do some other things as well. Yeah. And that's kind of how it grew over the evolutionary uh, cycle of, of a couple of years. Amazing. I mean, I'm just, I'm starting to piece together now the picture that, you know, you are, you described yourself right at the outset as a problem solver. And so what you've just described to me is that you found a real world problem that needs solving. 
Uh, so, mm. so you've got that part, and, and and as we talked about on the masterclass the other night, you've got to solve the customer's problem first, right? So, yeah. so you've got that, yeah. and then behind the scenes, you've got this this undercurrent of sustainability, the way you live your life, and and the two have melded together into this amazing, amazing brand, and decided to do both of those things, bring that to market. So, but I'm I'm right, I'm right in thinking that you don't have a beauty products background, right? None whatsoever, and it. it, it... So I know it sounds strange. I've never, ever worked. You know, the closest that I've got to beauty was, you know, literally spending, you know, 20 minutes at a beauty counter going, oh, what what would I like to buy? Like that's it. But I, I guess in that way I was a perfect avatar for myself and I was the perfect customer. So I, I, I literally designed this to solve my own problem. And it started off simply being I want to be able to choose the brush that I want, right? So it started off sort of being in its rawest form. How can I screw a brush in and screw a brush out? And so when I started getting some 3D modelling with some uh, places here in Adelaide uh, that I was able to to get a few fr- uh, 3D models done, that that was sort of the concept that we started with was just simply the the brush. But then, and then it evolved to well, okay, if we're going to be able to do that with the brush. I'd also like to just be able to get a refill. Like I actually hate throwing it, all of it away into landfill every single time I'm I'm finished with it. And I think you'll find that probably ninety percent of women, you know, around the world have literally got a drawer full of old mascaras because they just can't bring themselves to throw them into landfill. And at the moment, that's the only option that that, that we've got. So the refill bit of it was really important to me as well. That sort of came in that evolutionary, you know, process of thinking and designing. And and, and then once we were able to get it into those elements, it also meant that the next step was, okay, well, now we can really start thinking about what sort of materials that we can manufacture with because we've pulled it all apart. And so along with the fact that I, I've always wanted to manufacture with as much recycled plastic content as I possibly could. It meant that I could also start looking at alternative materials as well. And so uh, well over 50% of my mascara is actually aluminium, which of course, as most of your listeners, and I'm sure you know, um, you know, is one of the the most sustainable and, you know, friendly from a, a recyclable and circular economy perspective. You know, it, it can be recycled over and over and over again. Yeah, infinitely. Yeah. 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 So, so, the, so being able to then bring the aluminium into it has been fantastic because it's very robust. It's beautiful. So it gives a very, you know, luxurious feel to, you know, what I've been able to produce. Yeah. Um, the plastics, you know, we've been able to, it means that we've been able to reduce the the amount of plastic that actually goes into our product by about 65%. So we're using less, you know, 65% less plastic than most manufacturers uh, use. Mm. Of that, 50% of it is recycled plastic pellets go into what, what we've got. I love the origin story because I find it very inspiring because I think a lot of people, when they when they first come up with an idea like you did that moment under the lemon tree they think oh but i'll never be able to do that because i don't know anything about (laughs) cosmetics and what you've just proved i think to everybody that is has has a seed of inspiration in them to come and do this is that you can do it it does you don't have to have a deep background in an industry what you do need to do is have a real problem that you're solving which is what you've got absolutely and and you know giles i think um as i said you know 
prior to our podcast talking, you know, starting and, and talking to you about the security business that, um, you know, I, I also own with my husband. The last 15 years of our journey in building that company has taught me, you know, a, a number of things about entrepreneurship and especially about innovation. The biggest one, I think, would be that I believe the freshest ideas, the most game-changing ideas and disruptive ideas for any industry typically come from people outside of the industry Yes, because they don't have the blinkers on, you know. So, Case in point, you know, I, I, from 2015 to 2019, a lot of things happened in my life. But at the end of 2019, I was able to hop on a plane uh, and head to Hong Kong and attend my first global beauty expo. And that's where I went on the hunt for my manufacturing partner. Um, I, I, I got to this expo and thankfully I'd been to plenty before, so I knew what I was, you know, sort of doing. It was all filled with men. The decision makers of these companies were men and I was gobsmacked and I was constantly being told by these men that uh, what I was, uh, and I sort of didn't want to give the game away. Obviously, I, I, I wasn't giving too much away, but I, I was constantly told, oh, you can't do that, Tanya. You can't. What you want to do, you can't do it. And I'm like, but, you know, respectfully, I'm going to disagree with you because I'm actually doing it in my bathroom every single day. What I, what I want to achieve, I am actually doing and it's not, it's providing me with better quality and it's providing me with a better look and a better outcome, you know, for, from my mascara wearing, you know, so I was like, okay. And I guess probably because I'd had this previous 15 years of commercializing new product into the market. I was comfortable with being the only person saying, that's okay, I'm going to give it a go. As I said, a lot of things had happened in, in those previous four years. I, um, I lost my dad um, quite suddenly to, to bowel cancer um, in 2017. Um, only sort of 15 months later, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Wow. Um, but I, I had, you know, a journey of my own to, to kind of go through um, with surgery and treatment and, and um, healing. And so it really wasn't until 2019 that I was able to then sort of say to myself, okay, life is short. Yes. You know, there's, yeah. there's no guarantees. Yeah. So this is what I really want to do. I really want to get this product out to the marketplace because I truly believe that this is a game changer. And I truly believe that I've spoken to enough people now to know that it is a great idea um, and I'm going to give it a red hot poke. And if it doesn't work, I die knowing that I've tried my very best. You know what? I, I have complete certainty it's going to work. Maybe I have a different perspective than many people because of who I get to talk to every day and, and the trends that I get to see. I think the world is ready, very ready for your product, for what you're bringing to market. You know, like three years ago, maybe not so much, certainly here in Australia. but it's very interesting the journey we the zeitgeist has changed significantly if you like over the past few years and i think you're absolutely in the right place at the right time and and i really want to pick apart the the journey you've been on to you know literally the sourcing journey the thought process the the design process that you've been on to get this to market in a minute but before we do 
you just touched on something very deep there, which I'd like to bring to the surface, which is the whole purpose for the brand and 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 that you are fundamentally a purpose-driven brand. Yes, you're solving a really interesting problem and you're doing it in a sustainable way, but the key layer with all this for you that's driving you is this purpose. So can you talk to us a little bit about, about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I call it my passion. So it's um and 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 that's our you know that's my company that I established was passion meets purpose. So for me this this is an ability I've, I I had I guess once I I got into all of this I started to realize that I had for a very very long time had a, a very deep seated need want uh, desire to um, have a foundation so that I can create a legacy that will leave this place our our earth you know, a better place than what I found it for generations to come. And so I guess my breast cancer journey has led me to that place where I desperately need to see a cure for what, you know, this disease, this horrible disease that affects so many of us, including men, not just women. Um, I have two beautiful daughters who are highly likely to go through this journey as well. If I can't help to find a cure and I've I've got a beautiful um close girlfriend who is one of the smartest minds you know in in uh research and so together she she heads up the center for cancer biology um in Adelaide with their their world-class research and so I have created lashes of love which is the foundation that will channel our profits through to. Um, and so our purpose is to be actually raising um, money for breast cancer research on a very big scale. You know, I, I only just launched my brand, as, as we spoke, I only just launched my brand a couple of months ago. But Jars, I want to take it global. And I want to eventually grow this so that we can be, you know, gifting millions and millions of dollars to research. And this creates a legacy, not just for me and my girls, but for women around the world for generations to come. I'm just so excited by all of that. Well, first of all, congratulations on on getting through that own, own personal journey yourself, you know, because that would have been a harrowing experience and very difficult to get through. And, you know, it's always great to see that someone comes out perhaps stronger from one of those life-changing experiences and life-threatening experiences you know people like yourself are always so inspiring to talk to who have been through that had the difficult times and then not just gone okay but life life is back to normal now it's now what can i do to make sure that that no one else goes through this i, I mean that, that you are literally an inspiration i i and I, I you know i can't say anything more than that really it, i think Thanks. i think that's everything but what I love about this in particular, and and you know, fundamentally for me, one of the reasons I've started sustainable e-commerce is, and and like I said on the masterclass that you were on the other night, I I fundamentally believe that whether it's sustainability or whether it's some other purpose, it's brands doing things differently with a purposeful mission that are going to actually make an impact in the world. I don't think it's governments. I don't think it's charities, although they're very important, especially if they're research based. You know, consumers are very, are very, very good, uh, but they, but they're not powerful enough on their own. It's the brands collecting up those consumers and helping them take action on something, whatever the purpose is, whatever the cause is, that actually is going to make a difference in the world. And so, this new, you know, the new, the new era of B Corps and and all those things are just really where business needs to be and entrepreneurship needs to be. And so, you're just living all of those values. And so, I want to thank you for that because it demonstrates to me that all of this is worthwhile and so amazing yeah thank you 
Yeah, and I totally agree. You know, I, I think everything that you said on, on your um uh, on your seminar, you know, during the week was was spot on. And and I think the the reality is that uh you know big corporations are just too entrenched, you know, in the processes. Um, it's like trying to turn the tank. Um, governments, well, they don't have an interest in you know um profitable business as yeah. such you know commerce yeah. is not really their jam it's not supposed to be um so yeah it, it it is up to us as as like you say as brands as um you know typically we're all smes you know we start off with an idea um and i think the the value that we can bring is that we've got that nimbleness you know we've got that openness of thought um, as I said, we're not, we haven't got the blinkers on. We, we're literally, for those of us that have got a problem that we're solving, um, you know, we're, we're addressing that problem. Yeah. And because I didn't, because I didn't have a business behind me, I didn't need to think about, you know, how am I going to continue to pay my wages? How am I going to continue to keep people employed? You know, how am I going to change the status quo in an industry mm. that is, and especially for beauty? You know, it's it's really only just been the last I've said I I would say what ten or fifteen years that we've even become comfortable in buying online. Mm. So you know, it's only been a recent change that we've moved out of the department stores and out of the you know bricks and mortar to an online scenario. But it it, it just makes it easier. It makes it easier for us to be nimble, um, to be problem solvers, and to try the different things that we think are going to be those better solutions. Yeah. You know, and that step change and once we get to uh i i guess you could sort of call it a the concept takes off and and then all of a sudden the big guys start looking at it and go yeah. oh okay well consumers now demanding yeah. this and and you know ultimately that's what i'm hoping to be able to bring to an industry that i've never been a part of i want to bring some fresh ideas and some fresh concepts you know we're all about slow manufacturing and conscious consuming yeah. so you know our manufacturing costs are significantly more expensive than you know a, a challenger brand you know corporate that that, that we're up yeah. against and of course they just spit out millions and millions and millions of pieces of exactly the same thing and just spread it all around the world into their department stores and and hope that it sells mm. and the the cosmetics industry is one of the worst industries i've now found out through my research you know in adding to landfill dumping i mean they it's something horrific like a half a billion dollars a year of of unsold cosmetics that have expired just get literally dumped into landfill i mean it's, it's just horrendous and that's yeah that's the stuff that's not even not even been used it's just the fully thing with all the stuff inside just gone just gone to landfill i mean it's absolutely horrific and 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 i think that lends itself to the fact that well they haven't customized you, you know they've missed the mark whatever it is that they've manufactured mm. they've they've missed the mark and they haven't customized it to the people that want it um, and so i guess that's that's what i'm hoping you know it, we're going to be able to really change up um so yeah so you know i'm very proud to be able to say that we're you know the very first brand globally um, that has developed interchangeable brushes, you know, in our mascaras. So customer goes online and when they order their brush, when they order their mascara, it's in three steps. So they order their formula, then they choose their brush, 
and then they choose the outer casing just because they can yeah. and then it gets shipped off to them. So um, that that's the interchangeable brush part of it is an absolute, you know, world first innovation and we are the first brand in Australia to be refillable. Yeah, it's certainly been my experience that brands really disrupting an industry are almost always driven by founders that come from outside that industry because they have a thought process kind of unencumbered by default assumptions about how things work as well as a burning desire and motivation to actually do something better and here you've got a a double innovation haven't you not only the customizable brushes so that people don't poke themselves in the eye every time they go to use it but also, you're bringing the the refill revolution to beauty in Australia, which is a monstrous opportunity. And it all, it also goes to celebrate diversity. So if you think about it, we've all got, you know, from a cultural or a genetic perspective, you know, I'm a white Anglo woman with some a few European genes, you know, sputtered in there. But my eye shape and my lash length and all that sort of thing is very different from a, a lady, you know, who has Asian you know, genetics, her eyes, very different shape and her lashes, very, very different. And and we're, again, very, very different to an African-American or an African or a South American, you know, genetics. So I think the thing that I really wanted, you know, to be able to prove in, in this innovation and, and development, I guess, is that, you know, at the moment you've got these corporations, as I said, producing literally millions and millions of pieces of mascara and they send them out to all ends of the earth and hope that the same brush and the same formula, it gets sold to me as it gets sold to someone in America, as it gets sold to somebody in Africa and South America and Europe. And it's just not going to, it's just not going to work. Yeah, this notion of, you know, being able to customise the product for yourself from a range of options is something that I think is a massively underused strategy. You know, not only is it good for the consumer because they can get exactly what it is that they want, but it's really very clever and it's a good solution for overproduction because then you are breaking down the product into smaller components from which the customer can choose which parts they want rather than having to go through all of the components together and collectively, they don't make up what the consumer wants. And so it ends up being in landfill because it wasn't what they wanted. Exactly. It's actually fundamental thinking, I think, isn't it, for solving some of the sustainability crises we're in. I was literally talking earlier in the series to Zoltan Saki from Citizen Wolf Brand. And, uh, you know, and he's taking a similar approach to the fashion industry. It's this mass application of the concept of how can we... How can we bring customization to any vertical that is a key element to A, a, a better customer experience, but then B, solving overproduction? Absolutely. And and I think the other thing that, you know, I've, I've now, uh, having gone through all of this, it also means that actually there's sort of 85% of my production that is not ever going to expire. So the aluminium casing, because that gets all made differently, you know, separately, well, you know, I could essentially have them sitting there for 10 years if I need to, and they're not going Mm. to go off. I don't need to throw them away, right? I just wait for the customer to to order them. The brushes, you know, again, the same. The brushes are not going to go off just sitting there. The only thing that I have to now worry about from a production point of view and an expiry date is the formula. And because that comes in its own little refill, it means that I can manage that. So the logistics of my manufacturing changes 
So now all of a sudden I haven't got 100% of my materials that all have to be thrown away just because the formula is expired. I've now only got a little bit of that that I need to to worry about. So I I think there are some great benefits that, you know, until you kind of get into it, it, it doesn't kind of necessarily, you know, expose itself. But once you're able to, you can extrapolate it and you can really sort of start to flesh it apart and see where the benefits are. Yeah, it's it's another great example of where sustainable thinking applied to products can actually make it less expensive, though no doubt you're missing out on economies of scale and process simplicity, I guess. So t- talk us through the journey you've been on, you know, from the conception under the lemon tree to to today. How What's that process looked like for you? You talked a, bit, a little bit about, about some teams in Adelaide that you work with to do the um, computer-aided design, I guess, of the product. What did the process look like for you? It was, it was messy. It was up and down. And um, it, it, for the first few years, you know, I, I wasn't really dedicated to getting it. I sort of tried it a number of different places. So as I said, I got my first 3D model done through somebody at uh, the University of Adelaide. I was able to find a, a, a contact. Um, and then from there, I needed to find an engineering firm. So I went through a number of those. Here in Australia or overseas? Uh, no, no, here in Adelaide. I tried to, yeah. I really wanted to work with people here in Adelaide, but um, I, I had about two or three attempts at that and it just didn't didn't work. They, they weren't in the beauty industry either they were they were just engineers and and so mm. that didn't work and and because I wasn't because as I said because because you know lots of things obviously happened in that period it wasn't until 2019 that I made a promise to myself that I would stop dilly-dallying with this concept and I would actually get it to the marketplace and I put mm more energy in it, into it and I would put more time and, and dedication because I didn't know how much time I had left to be able to achieve this. Um, so it was, you know, if you like, it was the, probably the kick up the ass that I needed, to be perfectly honest. It was, you know, a seed was planted, but then I needed the motivation to sort of go, okay, you really need to get this going. So that that sort of happened in yeah. 2019. And so I'd been in and out of, of different sort of agreements by then. And it, it, it was just serendipitously. We might, so my husband's actually British as well. And um, we had some um, family members come and visit us in 2019 with their little kids and they came through Adelaide. And so, you know, we obviously caught up with them and spent the day with them and everything. And I was, because by that stage, I started talking to everybody about what I wanted to do. And um, and yeah. this particular um, family member, he had been in the beauty industry actually in the UK and had worked in it for about 10 years. So he was great. Um, and he, he sort of gave me a list of all the companies that I needed to look, look at, talk to, reach out to, because I knew none of that. I just had this concept. I didn't actually know who... Or where to go, or, or, or what to do. And a girlfriend um, of mine here in Adelaide had also uh, been in the beauty industry, so she she was the one that alerted me to the um, Cosmoprof Expo, which is one of the the global beauty expos. So I just booked myself on a plane. I was like, right, I'm going to head myself off to Hong Kong. I'm going to get to this expo and I'm going to start just walking the floor and having a look to see if I can find. Um, some partners, people to work with. And uh, it was just, I was just really fortunate that on day one, I, I, I stumbled across this 
rather small booth. So it wasn't it wasn't a big manufacturer, but I was talking to the salespeople there and I was quite, you know, I was really enthused with what they were doing. And they were one of the few manufacturers that were able to manufacture in both plastics and aluminium. And I think, you know, all of my research done here in Australia, I couldn't find anybody that did the dual manufacturing. Um, and of course, for most people, you know, you, your listeners will understand, you know, that means double molding and, and any molds are, you know, ridiculously expensive. So I didn't want to go down that, that, that avenue. So, um, it was at the beginning of 2020 that I, I was able to get an agreement going with this particular company, this partner. As they say, the rest is history. So we, COVID yeah. struck and, and uh, I wasn't able to go and travel and see them. So, you know, we, we, we started the very tedious process of, of engineering this, you know, over, um, over, over online and, and, um, and they were the ones that introduced me then to, you know, a formula partner. Um, so I wasn't willing to compromise on anything. I wanted the best of everything and the best of design, but also the best of product. So. I saw it very yeah. much uh, similar to the wine industry. You know, you buy your first bottle of wine because you love the label, but your second bottle of wine, you you buy it because of what's in it. So, yes. uh, it, it, for me, I was using the same sort of adage. You know, the first the first purchase, people will buy it because they love the concept, but the second purchase will be because they love the mascara itself and the formula and yeah um yeah so so there was a lot of you know sending backwards and forwards and testing formulas and that sort of thing and which was pretty difficult during covid to be perfectly honest um that that wasn't easy yeah. to be able to get the you know consumer research that i kind of needed doing but it all happened and you know, I, I feel yeah. so incredibly proud of what you know we've been able to pull together um so you know you can never do it obviously on your own there's always a team of people um i've just been yes. incredibly privileged to be able to work with um you know some some very uh seriously great people in their industry and i, and I think getting the right team around you is, is critical to being able to bring something like this to life yeah absolutely very very hard uh first of all to do everything yourself but secondly to be good at everything yourself as a, as a sort of solopreneur as a founder so you're manufacturing over in china and then warehousing here in australia in adelaide yeah so it's part of the manufacturing obviously the the product if, if you like the casting and all that sort of stuff is is done in china but then mm. my my refills are sent to italy the formula is in italy it gets filled in italy and then it gets sent to Australia and we assemble it all here. And because we're able to do that, it means that I don't have to have all this horrible, disgusting plastic packaging or, you know, anything like that. So, you know, our our, our orders are all hand-packed by me at the moment, you know, with a lot of love and a lot of thanks, you know, and we have it wrapped in some beautiful tissue paper and, um, and then I've got these gorgeous, um velvet pouches that i pop them in and and send them off so you know we're able we, we are trying as much as we can to get rid of excess plastic out of our lives so i i mean i think that brings us up to date with where you are tell us exactly though bring the two things together you've got your purpose and then you've got the the amazing product that you've built how do the two things serve each other so i think one of the if i can say one of the, the other things that i think is really broken is the way that we look at philanthropy. So it's it's sort of an opportunity to be able to innovate within this philanthropic, you know, um, industry sector. I think we're all becoming very cynical. Someone knocks on your door or they ask you for money. You know, we're becoming very, very cynical about 
how much of that money, you know, actually ends up at the purpose that, that we're being sold on. And then there's this new sort of form of you, 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 you talked about greenwashing, you know, in your, um, seminar during the week. And I, I totally agree. There's a lot of greenwashing, but I think there's also a lot of philanthropic washing, to be perfectly honest. You know, there are mm. a lot of brands that are starting to go, Oh, well, we'll plant a tree or we'll donate $1, you know, from every product sold. Well, to me, I know, and I don't, I don't mean to sound terrible, but for some of those brands, they're not particularly big brands. Right. And a dollar is really not going to move the needle much for anybody anywhere. You know, that's why we want to be putting 25% of our profits, which is a really significant part um, of our profitability. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to make the model work. So <laughs> time, yeah. time will tell, but it, it's my, my big, my big dream, I guess, would be to see out of every purchase that we make in our daily consumer lives that some part of that ends up going through to the philanthropic system in in different industry sectors and i think that that is the way of future proofing being able to support these organizations that you know do so many so much good that as you say governments don't address so there's mm. so many issues that governments don't address. Um, and, you know, we as the people and the community, the, the you know, the ones that are looking after our, our land and our resources, you know, that we're the ones that, that come up with these ideas. And sadly, the reality is that every idea that you have still needs money behind it to be able to ex- execute on it, right? So, yeah, correct. you know, I, I would love to see, you know, you buy butter. You know, you buy your bread, you buy your milk, you buy, you know, how wonderful if a portion of every single thing that we purchase in our daily lives, you know, goes to a greater good. And so yeah. for me, I think, you know, being able to solve a key problem within the, you know, for mascara users to be able to solve their problem and also be able to give to others that to me, just that's the way that they work. So I almost think as well, in the press of late, there's been a lot of talk about um, who gives a crap being an incredible, you know, everyone knows, right, that the, the toilet paper brand that, that, <laughs> that does sanitation around the world. And and they made press just fairly recently because they had a really tremendous couple of years during during COVID. And as a result, we're able to donate $10 million, right, which is which is massive. No, no question. Yeah. The problem is that it's kind of like downstream in a way, in the sense that before that, in the many years before that, they donated like 2% of that because because they hadn't been profitable yet because they were growing. Yeah. And so, you know, and one of my earlier podcasts this this season actually was talking about this, about, about talking about baking in purpose into your business model rather than having it as a kind of profit afterthought, mm-hmm. you know, because this this philanthropy is very nice, but, it, but consumers kind of sense it as being, it smells of ESG initiative you know, which is value signaling rather than value doing. Mm. And and so like you are, when we build the uh, the economic driver for the purpose into the business model so that we know with every item or with every purchase or with every whatever it is, yeah. something actually tangibly happens. Yeah. Not only does that mean that our brands, our amazing brands are impactful from day one, but it also means that the consumer can understand directly how their their purchase is going to influence something as opposed to going into a big nebulous pot that they don't really understand at the end of the year. 
So I know we're coming to the end of our time. What's next for Lashes of Change? You've just launched eight weeks ago. We just launched. Which is all very exciting. Incredible. I'm, I'm sure the confetti is still is still floating down in the background. What's next? What, where, where do you see this going over the next 12 months? I want to get it out to as many people as possible. Um, you know, so for all of those, you know, lovely listeners out there, if you if you need a new mascara or you've got a wife or a you know, daughter or a sister or a whatever, please share my, my story. Um, you know, it is a great, it is a great story and it, it's a seriously fantastic product. I am starting to look for influencers and brand ambassadors. So we've just got our first couple. Um, great. We are looking to start doing some um, TikToks and, and sort of a branch out to get onto TikTok. Um, and get our message out into the American market. So, you know, next 12 months, I think, is just going to be a really hectic ride, to be perfectly honest. We're going to try and take advantage of as many opportunities, you know, as we can for building that brand awareness and, and advertising and, and all that sort of thing. And, yeah, I mean, I'd just I'd like to be able to take it global as soon as possible. So whether that's 12 months, two years, you know, three years, I, I think only time will, will tell, but that's where I'd really like to be able to take it because I think that, you know, Australia is not the only country in the world that requires this sustainability, no. you know, solution. So we, we, we need to be getting it out there. Well, I mean, your market ultimately is anywhere in the world where people wear, want, want to wear mascara and, you know, not necessarily just women either, I'm guessing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So at some stage, I, I do actually want to be able to be able to branch out and hive that off, so that we can create a brand for men who who wear mascara. Because we have this, you know, one of the pillars, as I said before, one of the pillars of of who we are is about diversity and acceptance. And for us, beauty is very much about inner beauty, not outer beauty. Um, but I think every single one of us can approach the day in a more positive and better way if we feel good about ourselves and for some of us that's just simply about being able to throw on some mascara and a little bit of lipstick or lip gloss and go and face the world a little bit more confidently well thank you so much for your very very kind time uh today tanya it's been wonderful chatting with you and unpicking the story and and congratulations on everything on on this on the survival of your own journey on the launch of the brand and and i'm so excited to see where this goes thank you so much for having me and and thanks for seeing the you know the the special pieces you know special bits about us and and being curious enough to to invite me on so i really appreciate that giles it was really lovely to um get your phone call back to giles again for my top takeouts and my first takeout is that Tanya and Lashes of Change are living proof that if you have a really good idea for how something can be made better, it doesn't matter if you're not an industry insider. In fact, it probably means your product will end up being better. Sure, there are definitely things you'll need to know, and it, and it definitely helps to have contacts, but all that can be learned along the way. Real innovation comes from thinking about things differently, and that's much harder to do when you're surrounded by the status quo. Secondly, Tanya's story is a lesson in resilience, if I've ever heard one, both professionally and personally. And I just have such enormous respect for that. Despite being told, no, that, that can't be done, despite trying and failing with multiple partners to get the idea off the ground, she did not give up. 
no doubt her motivation was being fueled by the passion to make a difference and help her find a cure for breast cancer. But regardless, she didn't give up. And now she has a groundbreaking product and a groundbreaking brand out in the world. I mean, inspiring much? My goodness. And lastly, I do agree with Tanya. And those of you who've been to one of my masterclasses will know our idea of philanthropy is broken. The new model of purpose-driven organizations is definitely, in my opinion, the best route forward. Tanya is particularly remarkable in that she set up a charitable foundation called the Lashes of Love Foundation, and 25% of all profits from Lashes of Change will go into it, all going towards cancer research. But I don't honestly fully agree with Tanya's thoughts on the notion of order-based donations being purpose-washing. Definitely, there are big brands out there with deep margins who could be doing more. But I personally would rather see many thousands of SME brands, potentially like yours, slicing off a tangible and transparent chunk of every sale towards impact rather than just a few big brands promising to make donations out of profit at the end of the year. But regardless, I hope you found Tanya's story super inspiring. If you're sick of poking yourself in the eye with mascara or sick of chucking empty containers in landfill, go check them out at lashesofchange.com. Link at the end of the show notes. In fact, this episode's coming out on Black Friday. And if you head over there, they're including a beautiful free storage box worth $29 with every mascara and bamboo eco-cotton bundle order. So go check that out. I'll be back with you next week for more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet. <laughs>